It's happy hour here in New Orleans at the Columns Hotel. I'm your substitute host, Mindy Hawes. I'm subbing for Grant Morris. I don't know why I'm subbing for Grant Morris. Does Grant have knee surgery in the morning at 5.30? Oh, no, that's me. So that's an interesting <laughs> interesting scheduling he's got going on there. We're uh, It's NewOrleans.com, and today we have three guests. We have Jim Bernazani. Bernazani. He is the president of the Idonius Global and Youth Rescue Initiative and the former head of the FBI. Is that Louisiana FBI? Yes. Okay. And we have Mary Lee Murphy. She's beautiful. I'm sorry that this is radio. You'll have to check out the pictures on Facebook. She's the development director for City Year New Orleans. Hi, Mary Lee. Hello. And we have John Michael Rochelle, who is the lead of the band My Name is John Michael. How are you doing? Going to perform a couple of songs for yeah, us today, right? Yeah, I think so. Right? All right, fantastic. I think so. We are at the beautiful Columns Hotel in New Orleans. It's uh, daylight saving, so a little bit darker than we're used to, so we might uh, drink a little bit more than we're used to. So, welcome. Except we, um, me. Except you, and except for me, actually. I'm a terrible New Orleanian. I'm having water. <laughs> what are you having? I'm having water and a glass of wine. All right, there you go. Thank you. So we uh, invited both of you here today because my understanding at my uh, late notice is that you both had sort of mid-career changes or a few mid-career changes. Certainly um, from director of the FBI to president of Idonius Global and Youth Rescue Initiative. And what's the second uh, role that you have in New Orleans that you told me about? I've, when I retired from the FBI after, you know, May of 2008, I started a nonprofit with the poor kids called the Youth Rescue Initiative. That's still ongoing, and then, because uh, I had to make some money, I started a company called Idonius Global, which is a full-service investigative and security firm comprised of retired FBI. Ah, so, so it's two of them. Got you. These are two separate endeavors. Yes. For-profit that sustains a non-profit. Well, pretty much so. It was the, uh, the non-profit, the genesis for that, did that have anything to do with your work, your former work in New Orleans with the FBI? Yeah, when I came down here, you know, we pulled out a violent crime after 9-11. Uh, we pulled all the uh, violent crime agents into kind of terrorism. When I came down here, the common folk terrorism was violent crime, these kids. And when we took a look at it, we realized that the kids uh, were subjected to state institutional failures that failed to develop social and technical skills to function as they aged. And uh, what I decided to do when I retired was to go after the young kids during their age of innocence, build that structure, build that discipline, and as they aged, became the 17 and 25 year olds, they had the skills to function, uh, because right now, uh, they don't have those skills and they gravitate towards the street drug trade, which unfortunately is a cauldron of violence. And your uh, sort of avenue to get to these kids or for these kids to get to you, how does that work right now? It's a, it's a partnership. It's a program. We, can't, we, we do nothing by ourselves. We uh, partner with uh, the library system. We partner with other nonprofits, with the schools, uh, with businesses, with the media, uh, the stakeholders. And we try to build our structure and discipline. Uh, and it's going to take a long time, Mindy. I'm telling you right now, the failures of the institutions has affected a generation. And there's nothing more telling when you see uh, a while back a 11-year-old got in a street fight with another 11-year-old, went home and the loser cried to his mother. She gave him a 9-millimeter and said, go make a man out of yourself. And he hunted the kid down and killed the kid. I mean, that's a big problem. Was that on uh, South Robertson Street? Um, Is that the same? I think that's actually on the grounds of the building where I, know I now work and do very similar work to you in terms of trying to get to the kids. This is my day job, by the way. Try to get to the kids early. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That, it's the strategic approach as opposed to the tactical approach. The tactical approach is what you read in the papers: arrest, prosecution, conviction, incarceration. The cops. It's too late. The strategic is getting to them during their age of innocence. The answer really is not more cops and more prison space. The answer is investing in the youth during the age of innocence and build that structure and discipline so as they age, they can function like you and I do. So, Mary Lee, this brings me to you because I, you're with City Year, and I, I presume that that means you know Reverend Irvin Bell, who, okay, he's, the, he's with City Year, and he's the, actually the chairman of the board of my nonprofit organization that does, has a very similar fo focus to Jim's. So tell us about uh, your work with City Year, and then we'll get back to uh, previous work and how you got here. 
Well, City Year actually has a lot in common with Jim's work. We are an AmeriCorps program, and we deploy teams of 8 to 10 young people, Corps members, in the schools. And our mission is to keep students in school and on track. And lately, as we've been contending with the violent culture of our youth in this city, that's easily translated in New Orleans as keeping our students in school and off the streets. Mm -hmm. um, our core members are primarily um, mentors, and tutoring is the mechanism by which their mentoring really um, exists. They're in the schools before the students arrive, and they are there telling the students goodbye and that we want to see you again the next day. Um, our attendance, our focus is really on improving attendance, keeping our students in school, not only so that they can learn, but because presumably that's where they're going to stay safe. And, um, and then also to improve behavior, to help reduce behavior incidents throughout the year. So our core members, who are 17 to 24 year olds, and not much older than a lot of our students, considering that so many of our students are a lot older than their actual grade level. Our core members are also helping to really de-escalate violence in the school. And then of course with our tutoring we're working to help our students improve in their course performance. Our goal is to keep students on track to graduate and to really reduce the dropout rate and um, our work at Cohen High School, for example, where we had the privilege of being for three years, we were able to see, and this is attributable to, to a number of factors, and not just City Year, but, but um, our presence in the school did help to really, um, what had been called by National Geographic the most dangerous high school in America, uh, with a 26% graduation rate, okay, and that was of the senior class, that's not accounting for all the students who dropped out after the ninth grade, after 10th grade, after 11th grade. 26% of that class graduated, but after we were able to be in there with a critical mass of, of human resources, young adults who could um, be seen as peers, but also have an amount of, of um, muscle, you know, authoritative muscle, we were able to see the graduation rate rise from 26% to 96%. Wow, so in three years? <laughs> yeah. Wow. In three years? In three years. So, um, so, yeah, so there's some actual um, parallels between the Jim's work and, and our work. And my day work. There's tremendous synergy here. What about you, John Michael? What are you doing to help the youth in New Orleans? <laughs> um, what are you going to start doing tomorrow? I think I'm going to start by helping myself. Um, <laughs> I hope I'm still young. Um, but no, I I mean, I, we, we do a lot of work with nonprofits and things, particularly things with Gulf Restoration Network and oh, things fantastic. of that nature. Um, I've just been so ignorant with regard to the youth of New Orleans. It's a world that up until recently, you know, my horn, my horn section, um, two of the gentlemen went to McDonough 35 and one of them went to McMain. And just in the last year, they're playing with me and learning about sort of the culture of public school systems in New Orleans has been daunting. So I'm still in the education phase, um, though this table is helping me learn <laughs> a lot more than I thought I would. But yeah, I mean, just trying to educate myself at this point and hopefully at some point I'll know better uh, how to approach it you know yeah no I mean reaching out in the way that you are I mean uh, actually arts are we're finding a tremendous bridge to interest kids in things other than being on the streets I mean, a perfect example you know my uh, my trombone player his name's Jeremy Mojo Phipps he's oh, we 19 Jeremy yeah you know Jeremy yeah. yeah he's amazing he's great and he's 19 years old and talented Precious. beyond talented and he uh you know, he was telling me once, he was like, you know, man, you really have a choice when you grow up in the third ward, third ward of New Orleans. It's like you either grab a brass instrument or you grab a gun, as sad as that is. Like, and that was kind of daunting, you know, to hear from a kid seven so years young. younger me, you know, younger than me to be so sort of thrown into that world. Um, but it was a, it was a real wake up call for me. So, yeah, education's my uh, what I'm focused on with regard to learning more about it. Yeah, no, it's 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 crucial. Um, whenever the uh, BP tragedy happened, speaking of Gulf restoration, yeah. 
My uh, CEO used the analogy that you can run around and clean up the marshes all day, but isn't it more important to plug the hole? I mean, to just stop the leak, which is what all of us are trying to do kind yeah, of at various stages of it's these. It's pretty frightening how, how bad it still is. Like during, during Voodoo Fest, we, myself, Ani DeFranco, um, her husband, um, Katie Sackoff, the actress from Battlestar Galactica and Nip Tuck and 24 and things of that nature, we all got into a boat with the Gulf Restoration people and went out and we still found oil, you know, still. I mean, it's 18 months, I think, after, or 16 months, 14 months after the BP disaster, and it's still real, so it's kind of frightening. Um, I know I sound like a total hippie talking about <laughs> No, it, I but, feel like I turned uh, this show into a complete downer. We're talking about crime and oil yeah. spill. <laughs> what are you drinking there, John Michael? <laughs> uh, bourbon. <laughs> All right. um, Soothing so, my troubles. Jim, tell me your uh, very favorite thing about living in New Orleans. The people. When you come right down, the people is where it's at. Very friendly down here. I'm from Boston. And people I just in heard that in your in your Boston. Excuse me. I just heard it when you said Boston. <laughs> right, I'm from Boston, uh, and uh, people in Boston uh, go 100 miles an hour, and have at times no time for other people. Down here is very friendly. It's a little bit laid back, but the laissez-faire unfortunately creates a culture that um, those who intend to take advantage take advantage very you know, easily do so yeah when i was uh, the head of the fbi here uh for the three years that i was here i came april before the storm um we had in those three years an uptick of 427 percent conviction of corrupt public officials stealing from the people it made the front page of the usa today and uh we basically knocked it back and uh, that's you know that, that, that I don't agree with people saying well that's the way it is sitting the fence you either can be on one side or the other you're either with them or against them because even though you don't think you're directly affected they're taken from you and the quality of life is threatened here and I'll tell you right after right after Katrina when I was called to Washington to build confidence to reinvest in the city, there was a real concern that New Orleans would become Galveston and Baton Rouge would become Houston. Because as you remember, maybe probably you weren't alive, but uh, 1900, a hurricane hit Galveston. That was the gem for that southeast Texas. It's a port city, right? Yeah, a port yeah. city just like here. Right. Exactly right. And it got destroyed. And it never recovered. But it gave growth to Houston, which was a little bit in the backwater. And there was a big concern here after Katrina that New Orleans would die and become Galveston and Baton Rouge would become Houston. And with all the federal money coming down, it was very temp tempting for individuals so inclined to steal that money for their own personal use instead of using it for its original intention for the people. And we really went to work, and we worked hard. And to be quite frank, we kicked some ass. It's, it's, I know I made a joke and made light of the crime, and it's actually bad timing to do that because we had a devastatingly violent Halloween yes. that did get us again on the front page of a lot of national and international papers and websites. Um, so I want to talk about more talk about that more because I, I think it's clear that around the table we have a lot of people who are very passionate about turning that around but um, just to go in another direction be, from being too Debbie Downer I'm going to ask John Michael to play a live song right now if you oh. have something that's not really sad <laughs> yeah no I'll, I'll stay away from the sad stuff right now um, <laughs> yeah I'll uh, here's a number um, called uh, it's, I, I, we've, we've been in the studio finishing up um, our second record and um it's a little more reflective of New Orleans and sort of my growing up, so it's a little more brass influence and those kind of things. And, um, yeah, so this song's called Orphan, um, but it's a happy song, I promise. <laughs> well, last night I dreamt that I was an orphan like my father before me well, He got on a boat to 
private hole It's funny how all I want to do is leave Well, I could steal the keys to his Cadillac Make a break for the sea No coming, no friends, no safety I gotta find the orphan in me Oh, oh, I gotta find the orphan in me Oh, oh, I gotta find the orphan in me If you've ever stolen your father's car And took the trip alone Your eyes are so wide that you've never seen before You see you got nothing of your own Well, any hesitation, boy It's just the voice of your youth And turn to the city that care for God My city was forgotten And I'll be too Return to start anew. Whoa, oh, I gotta find the orphan in me. Oh, oh, I gotta find the orphan in me. Child, I've never been alone, never been alone. Though I was an only child, I've never been alone. Though I was an only child, I've never been alone, never been alone. Though I was an only child, I've never been alone. Oh. I gotta find the orphan in me. Oh, oh. I gotta find the orphan in me. Yeah, thanks. Thank you much. Yeah, that's my communist guitar. Yeah, I'm stealing my dad's car and all that kind of stuff. I'm gonna have to investigate. <laughs> I know, right? Exactly. The head, former head of the FBI. Former, I made a really, I, I really made a, I made a cheap joke earlier, saying like, "Oh, the kid with the acoustic guitar is beware of the communist guitar." You know, I'm like old <laughs> '60s. It was a really cheap joke, so he's just he's just picking on me. I'll give you ten minutes to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, I, I thanks I, for the heads up. I, I might be in love with you. That was tremendous. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, but I'm in love with all of you right now. I guess is that normal for radio hosts just to be come hey. enamored immediately? <laughs> no. Let's get I mean, Mary smitten. Lee looks like she should be on a bottle of syrup. And then when you hear her say arrive, arrive in New Orleans. Do you mind if I tune while whilst we talk? Um, I is think it I think it'd be perfect. Okay. Cool. And do you actually want to tell us a little bit about that song, about the lyrics? You grew up in New Orleans? Yeah, I grew up here. I'm born and raised here. You're the only one at the table. It's yeah, yeah. I uh, I grew up in like just outside of here in Old Metairie yeah. in the suburbs. Um <laughs> But yeah, so it was, uh, yeah, born and raised. And like, I, I, you know, fell in love with this place. It was funny. It, it, it took me going to New York and living there for a while and then coming back to, um, to really appreciate it. I kind of took it for granted because like as a kid, I thought New everywhere York and was everywhere like else this. was, yeah, yeah, well, everywhere was like this one. And also, um, that this place wasn't special. I thought it was like. I had like a real southern sort of like disdain, you know. I thought people from Boston or people from New York were much more superior to New Orleans people or something, and it was kind of it, it's pretty stupid. After you know, once I turned nineteen or twenty, I was like, "Oh, you live in you lived in the greatest city in the world." So you know, it, I'm it, back and 
happy to be here. So I think within three days, I understood why people never leave, and I understood why they come back. Yeah, it's just called like the vortex. It just—it's what I call the vortex. It sucks you in, and you're. And you're it actually, done. I find that it affords a lot of the thing that I love. A lot of the things I love about New York and, and Los Angeles, and the sort of the random encounters on the street. But as you mentioned, Jim, it's coupled with this uncommon friendliness. Now, Mindy, where are you from originally? Little Rock, Arkansas. Oh, really? Yeah. You're a transplant, too? I am. Am I the only one out of the four you of us? Are. Wow. You are. What about you, Mitch? The Mitch engineer is from Mitch here, is from but here. But he doesn't talk too much. <laughs> and Grant's from New Zealand, and he'll never leave, even if we try to make him leave. Uh, Mary Lee, what's your favorite thing about living in New Orleans? I think... Um, I think it's not for everybody, and I think the people who fall into that vortex um, are probably people who are a little bit off kilter. <laughs> well, thank you very much. <laughs> I know, right? Hey, I mean, she's and, here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. And um, I think it's one of those places where, if you're made for it, it's the most comfortable you've ever been, and the most—I don't know—just. Um, at peace even which is ironic right like it's a city of extremes and um so to be to have this incredible joy in the midst of so much decay i don't know too many places that that accomplish that and, that's like um, a, that's such a profound statement i've been yeah, thinking I about know, that I for know, the last I couple know. years of my life in the Go sense ahead. that like to me new orleans like i don't know not saying like I'm I'm no authority on this place. Trust me. Like I'm a white kid from the burbs. Okay, but like, what I see is is like I see a lot of revelry, you know, but a lot like you know whether it's be a second line or it be us sitting at the columns at you know, it's noon somewhere, kind of having a drink. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of people reveling all the time, but I think there's like an in, inside of like kind of sadness in a lot of ways. But in the same rate. What better way than to purge your sadness by reveling? And I'm know? not sure that's a bad thing. I no. think that sadness is an alternative to a lot of people on antidepressants in the world who are simply numb. Well, don't even start. And going through that. the motions. There is so much passion here, and that's actually why I wanted to ask you all your favorite thing about living here, is because we're we're all clearly extremely impassioned about the place and wanting to sort of. It's real. I mean, it's like Mark Twain said: if you want real life, go to the funeral, not the wedding. And I love the fact that I'm confronted, it, and I'm not. It's not because I'm, you know, um, sadistic or masochistic. I love the fact that I'm confronted every day with the reality that there are sick people in the world, there are poor people in the world. They live on my street, on an integrated street. Right. Where know? else in the country can you go yeah. one block and be in the most affluent neighborhood in the city, and then go the next block and you're in the hood? In the hood, you, and you, it you, does something to thank, my heart. You thank the Roosevelt administration for that. That was a governmental uh, program by design. Really? Yes. I had no idea. Yeah. What the, what the government did back in the Roosevelt administration was when they had, uh, 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 they call them projects now. Uh, usually if you go to a city like Boston, it's Roxbury. You go to D.C., it's southeast. You go to uh, uh, L.A., it's Watts. Roosevelt wanted to change that. And when they started the projects in New Orleans, he spread them around the city with the idea of the surrounding affluence would bring up the people and the right. projects. It worked the opposite. That's why you have the checkerboard here in New Orleans. But, I mean, in, in the same rate, without that, I don't think a kid from the Burbs would be, like, nearly as in tune to culture and, interest. you know, the interesting parts of New Orleans. I mean, I'm constantly seeking out not white food, you know, and, like, Real Cajun, Michael. Cajun, you know. Yeah, we, baby, you know. yeah, yeah. I, I understand what you're saying, but for God's sakes, seeking off the culture, you may get your ass shot, and you got to be real careful with this. And then we're talking about kids now, and you know when you said decay, I think the days of decay are over. Now, I'm an optimist. I think we're moving in the right direction. There's been a lot of change since Katrina. Katrina, as bad as it was, there was a cauldron of the way it used to be. There was a skim coat on top. It blew it away, and people realized, son of a bitch, I got to get my, my, our ass in gear 
and collectively change this thing. You've got now, I think, a mayor who's going in the right direction, a city council who's strong. The police department has figured it out. The district attorney's office is going in the right direction. Investments coming in. Do you know what the number one city in the country, rated by Entrepreneurial Magazine, startup companies, rated New Orleans, Louisiana? I, I can believe it. It's There's a lot us. of young blood. You know, I'm a little older than you guys, <laughs> but I'm telling you, the attitude is there. We got to get smart, but we have to take care of what was left behind. And what was left behind were these kids who were disenfranchised, who have no skill sets, and they're reaching out and they're reacting to life's problems and stresses like we reacted as we were growing up. And, you know, out of a fist fight, maybe. This, these kids shoot each other, and it's going to change. And that's what we need to do. We're getting there. We're moving in the right direction. It's close. Yeah, and I'll tell you right now, you think this city's fine now, and I love this city. If we win this fight, this city will be the gem it was in the 1870s when it was the number one city in the country. Here, here. And I think, honestly, I think one of the things that has will have proven to galvanize that was that frustrating four years, two and a half years, the, the years of the Nagan administration when as a citizenry we were so frustrated, but it was like that um, when you pull a rubber band really tight and it gets hot because we were so frustrated, we started doing it all ourselves and it galvanized our citizenry and we are better off because we didn't have the help that we wanted. How did the preamble start? We the people. And that was exactly what you were saying. The people took New Orleans back. Yeah, you, I mean. Not the government. Yeah. Go ahead. No, what you were saying, I mean, you said your favorite part about New Orleans is the people. I mean, in all reality, the people of New Orleans are the people that created the first American art form, jazz, or the people that created the greatest food in this country. I mean, they're the people that created. It's not a, you know, and you're right. I mean, whether, who, no matter what administration it is or what year it is or anything, if the people in some way, shape, or form can figure out a way to coexist and to be okay, we can be the greatest city in the world. I think so. I, I, I th completely think I so. I think we're yeah. on the road. I think right now we're on the road. We're going the right direction. Yeah. But we can't take the eye off the tiger. And the tiger is the violence, and the violence is disenfranchised kids. I keep thinking of a, uh, when Mary Lee earlier was talking about how this place is so real, I keep thinking of a T-shirt that I saw at Dirty Coast. I can give a shout-out to a local business, right? Oh, I know them. Yeah. They're my friends. It says, "We're in New Orleans is so far behind, we're ahead. And I remember being at Vaughn's, <laughs> my first time at Vaughn's. Kermit was not there that night. It was Treme Brass Band, and they brought out a lot of the young guys. And it's just low ceilings and live music that I probably, I don't know where else that could be experienced. I, I mean, now that the Iron Curtain has fallen, I'm not sure who else really goes to such pure entertainment. And I think in that way, being so far behind where ahead is good. We really are about joy and family and food and music and art and living. And good. We're about good. We're about good. Yeah. I mean, And if we can just fix that part where we did fall behind, whether it was by design or not. I know this I, is going to break people's hearts that are fans of mine across the country but we tour around year round and I see the rest of America and sadly America is a big effing Walmart I mean <laughs> really I mean honestly no offense to Sam Walton no or you know any of that listeners. stuff or whatever but or any other city but in all reality the indigenous the concept of indigenous culture in other places is gone is long gone I mean there's pockets. I mean, when you go to Nashville, there's some interesting pockets. When you go to New York, there's some interesting pockets. There's little things here and there. But for an entire city to have an indigenous culture is long, long, long gone. I run around long. a lot of days wondering if this is even real. A lot of it's the not. things that I see in here, I'm not sure that all of it is real. Just wait till it's all underwater, and then we'll talk about it like Atlantis, you know? Just kidding. No, that's it's perfect a, I mean, timing. I was about to ask you to sing. Um... Yeah, I'll do a number, um, you, you, since we're going with the positive stuff, it's got some dark imagery, but the, 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 the themes, uh, the themes, the theme is, uh, about as, 
positive as I can get. Well, I hope that you'll be proud in the face of doubt. I hope when there's no exit, you'll find your own way out. I hope you hold your head high when the bill collectors come. I hope there's never anyone you have to run from. And I hope when you're rich, you have the heart of someone who is broke I hope someone somewhere gives you endless hope I hope you don't fear your coming of age in the way that I am I hope you don't lock yourself away when things don't go according to plan I hope you don't feel like a stranger whenever you come home I hope you don't cringe when you hear remember when when your friends call you on the phone And when those so-called friends desert you I hope you're willing to go it alone I hope someone somewhere gives you Drown yourself away and try and dry home. I hope you never have to see your best friend run themselves off the road. I hope you never ever ever reach the end of your road. I hope someone somewhere gives you. Hey, John. Yeah. You're one hell of a voice for a suburb of Metairie. Oh, oh, thanks, man. That's what I wanted to tell you. I actually thanks. learned in college, John Michael, that white suburbia is a culture and an ethnicity. <laughs> Own it. And also, <laughs> so, is, uh, so is like being half Jewish, half Italian, which is just my therapist's dream. Um, <laughs> I've got mommy issues coming out of my ears. It's awesome. We can get to those if we have time. <laughs> no, <laughs> please no. <laughs> Uh, Mary Lee, it's time for the inspirational quote portion of the show. Ah. <laughs> well, since we are at the columns in the front room, and this is actually written in my Do you want some accompanying music? Oh, yeah. We can do that, right? Oh, that would be wonderful. So, more than once I've sat in this room, <laughs> sipping on a glass of wine, and painted above the fireplace is this quote from Theodore Roosevelt, which is, far better it is to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered with failure, than to take rank with these poor spirits who neither enjoy much nor suffer much because they live in the gray twilight that knows not victory nor defeat. And, um, and I think, in, in our different um, trajectories uh, represented at this table. I think we've all thrown ourselves into, into some crazy situations. And, um, but 
that's good. Take oh. take a chance. I love how it said we just said checkerboard and he said checkered. <laughs> yeah. We can't avoid crazy situations. Walking down the street. Uh, also reminds me of the quote that keeps coming up in light of the uh, horrific Penn State revelations and, and developments, which is evil flourishes when good men do nothing. And I think uh, that's, yeah, that's a good one. Love being surrounded by good men and women at this table and in the city. Well, and I think that's why, and I know that we've gone on ad nauseum about why we love this city, but I just to encapsulate, I think everything that we were talking about earlier. That's one. I think that's the reason why I love living in this city. It does not afford me the opportunity to um, turn a blind eye. And I mean, I know you can, I know you can anesthetize yourself, but um, I'm confronted every day with realities that call for my compassion and my service. And I think that makes me human. So I'd rather live here for that. You know, uh, you know, God love all you guys. Uh, I've been through a lot overseas and fighting terrorists, organized crime, spies, serial killers, the whole nine yards. And when you asked that question about the quote, um, there was one quote that I read that uh, carried me through 25 years, a quarter of a century of, uh, of, uh, of helping the American people. And it was, it, was, it was so simple. It just basically says, we hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men and women are created equal. That we are endowed by a creator with certain unalienable rights among those life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is so simple, but to live it is so difficult. And when you're dealing with an adversary that wants to destroy us, and we have those out there, it's not the World War II, which is a symmetrical threat. It's the Sunni Jihadist movement, which is the asymmetrical threat. We have to stay together as a country, as a state, as a city, and as a family. And it's fundamentally important. I have a posse of uh, eight to 12 year old boys that I run around with in the neighborhood where I work. And uh, I just want to give you a little bit more hope in that we were filling out a form one day for a reading program we were doing together. And one of the uh, entries on the form was race. And my friend Chris looked at me and he said, what's that? I thought that was brilliant. Really? Yeah. What's that? He didn't know. He didn't care. I don't care. <laughs> we're getting there. That's the breakdown of the structure. That's the bottom line. That's what, what, what everybody at this table is doing, all four of us actually, is trying to establish the protocols where the gaps in the family are missing. A couple of generations now, right? I mean, this is this is not the first. Oh, generation. About thirty years, I figure. Yeah, two or yeah, three generations. I, you know, I'm not an expert. But I figure about thirty years. It's going to take. We'll be dead when this is done. When you come right down to it, but let's get the engine going. It didn't happen overnight. It's not no, no, be absolutely overnight. not. No, let's get the engine going. Yeah, that's such an interesting thing that you know, it's it's it being twenty six and you know. Oh, you'll be around. Well, <laughs> the rest well, of us. But you know, it's an interesting thing because like you know, it's nice to hear. I'm not I'm not playing I'm not being a generationalist in any way, shape, or form. But it's nice to hear people from the generation above me say that they really do want things to be better when they leave. You know, because that's been a big you know, question in my head and like a thing that I've been wondering is like is the America that I'm gonna live in gonna be better than my parents? That's a good America question. and is the America after me gonna be you what, know what year were you born? Nineteen eighty five. Eighty five? I started in the FBI in eighty four. Okay. So I had one year in my belt. I was you a glimmer born. in my father's eye. I I, I never mind. Anyways <laughs> I was born in fifty five. My parents' generation was the greatest generation. World War Two. They were both. They lived through the uh, boomers. Yeah. Yeah. They lived through the. Uh, You're a boomer. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. The uh, uh, the depression, the Great Depression. And when I read, I was told I would be the last generation that would make more impact 
than the previous generation. Then it would degrade and we would go down to this trough. And we're seeing this now. And we have to pick this thing up. And I believe, I honestly believe, the biggest issue is not, uh, you know, John came from a good family, obviously. He's very talented, great voice. Oh, thanks. And he's smart. Obviously he's smart. But the problem is, is there's too many people with a family checked out. And that is the problem. And we have to get to those. Now, those 30, 40, some, are, some in the teens, they have kids. They're, they're, they're absentee parents. We have to change that. And I just see a, a beautiful thing about the work that I'm doing and I presume about the work you're doing is that because we know this, because we know over the amount of time which this came and how it came, we're doing it without a lot of blame. I would not be sitting here if it weren't for my parents and the way that they raised me and the opportunities they afforded me. I didn't know what the PSAT was, but I knew I had to do well at it. And I, if I didn't have that kind of direction, who knows where I'd be right now. So we're really just trying to do for our kids, this New Orleans family's kids, what we do for our own nuclear family's kids. It's called, many is called structure. And these kids lack structure. And when you have no structure, you have no discipline. When you have no discipline, you free fall. And we see the kids shooting on Bourbon Street. I've never seen such structure as I have after a Mardi Gras parade. Have you ever watched State and watched the cleanup after? If this city could organize everything as well as it organizes and expedites the cleanup of a Mardi Gras parade, we need to get them on our team, whoever they are. And then you have the ACLU. How dare you violate my rights to move off the street? Oh, sorry, that was me. <laughs> Um, you know, I think I was supposed to plug the Columns Hotel. If you are visiting New Orleans, it's a great place to stay. If you're in New Orleans, I don't know if you can hear the background noise, but this place is packed. Obviously, a place to come in and get warm and have a cocktail or two. Start they make a great martini. I'm not having one right now, but... You might have one later. It's, it's quite good. Um, how did you get here in the first place, Mary Lee? I just want to listen to you talk more because I like your accent, but... <laughs> Um, from a fellow Arcan Arkansan. Oh, yeah? No, no, no. Oh, oh you are? But, no, you're Ar oh, yes, Arkansas. I'm Mississippi. Gotcha. So people think we're one of oh, the same. Part? Jackson. Right on. So three three hours up My the road. My former tour manager was from Jackson. Hi. And he's a, he's a good man by oh, the name good. of Woods Drinkwater. I used to babysit Woods. <laughs> Did you really? It's a very small world. It's a oh small world. It's my, a very small world. This best is the part where I drink. Um, <laughs> and wow. I do too because I was his babysitter. In and 85, uh, that's what I was doing. My best friend's father is good friends with Jim. We discovered that when we were booking the show. Ah. Very small world. Yeah. But the, the <laughs> age difference is considerably less, though, i got to say. My favorite part about New Orleans, can I tell you my favorite part about New Orleans that we're having right now is that you can't get away with anything. Nothing. Because there's one degree of separation yep. from everyone. That's everyone. right. It's my favorite part. That's right. So, go ahead. Sorry. Just, um, sorry. Well, okay, so how did I get to New Orleans? And um, the show was supposed to be about changes in direction, changes in career direction. And um, there's absolutely nothing vertical about me, so I need to be careful when I start speaking. <laughs> but um, so I was pursuing a master's degree in English and realized that if I was going to get a Ph.D., I couldn't afford to pay off my loans if I did get a job. And uh, so I ended up. I ended up working, um, actually moving down here and, and working with uh, my church. I came and worked with my minister who was actually starting a church uptown, and I worked with him. Uh, what was going to be a couple years, it was six years. And then uh, I, then I, after about a two-year effort to um, be gainfully employed in the for-profit world, um, worked for worked in public relations in uh, a wonderful advertising agency called Peter A. Mayer and then um, that was four months before the storm and then after the storm worked myself into a nice little burnout with so many uh, nonprofit initiatives and reopening initiatives and so then I went and worked for um, a workers compensation insurance company and in marketing and then I did that, and, uh, and then a year and a half ago, I'm now working as the Director of Development 
for another nonprofit called City Year. And um, so there's absolutely nothing linear about my path. I don't really have a path. And um, I think that's what Grant was kind of looking for when he placed this show, was looking for big changes. And um, so there you have it. We, we sometimes start with a theme, but <laughs> not very many of us are vertical in New Orleans. Well, so. the theme, if the theme is random, I'm, I'm <laughs> random. Mm-hmm. And we kind of had a random conversation. So there how about a random song? <laughs> Um, okay. You got one more? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, the song's about, a, you know, sitting here with Jim and, you know, his obvious service to this country and the quotes and things that we've been reading, Teddy Roosevelt and things of that nature. I, I had a good friend um, go overseas and come back. And uh, the song's about him and, you know, about people like Jim and people about Mary Lee and everybody that's sort of devoted to something. I don't know. It's called sleep. Here we go. Well, I've been up for three days on teenage amphetamine Just spinning out like a 45 while pounding slow gin Restless eyes, I realize maybe I should hang it up. Just stop my dreaming, stop my scheming, tell the voices I've had enough. Cause who I was as a child don't make sense to me now, and I don't wanna grow old. I'm torn between a child's dream and the reality that'll unfold. And I wonder how it all came to this You know I haven't slept so long That I don't miss it Well, Patrick was the perfect soldier He actually wanted to go to war The outskirts of New Orleans were pleasant But he wanted something more So he took his trip to return a king Like a Joseph Campbell book The days were long, the nights were longer But his life hadn't been took well, he was discharged and no applause Cause he returned too late You see the suburbs and the cities Already had their coming home parades And now he stays awake every night With the enemy in his head Knowing he would've came back a hero If he came back dead Awesome. 
Thank you. Appreciate really? it. Really Thank you. Thanks. Oh, uh, thanks. Thanks, man. Yeah. It's uh, kind of a weird thing, but. How'd you come up with it? Um, well, two things happened. One was um, I read this. Um, this. Uh, oh God, what's his name? He wrote "The Sun Also Rises." Um, Jesus. Hemingway. What's, Hemingway. Thank you. I'm seeing an E-H and I couldn't put it together. Ernest Hemingway. I read this short story which talked about um, this guy who came back to um, America after World War II. Yeah. And he stayed after the war was, you know, done and, like, sort of the celebrations people were having for the troops coming home. Um, and he came back late and so nobody really gave a shit. Sorry, FCC. Um, nobody really cared. And um, a friend of mine went over to the Middle East um, and he was uh, I don't honestly don't remember okay. um, and he came back over to back home and um, it was this really sort of cold welcoming um, you know whether, no matter what your politics are the fact is, is he's a human being and he's you know doing a service for all of us and he came back and it was a pretty dark weird um, response and sort of to his return and um, he just passed away actually uh, a couple weeks ago how old uh, 26 oh, wow. wow yeah um, wow. upon you know it's it's a dark story but um, you it's know so show. it was a he um, he was a great guy and so I wrote that for him and uh, he means a lot to me so you know yeah but it's I mean it's basically just a, a, a we've all got something that eats at us and we've all got something that we feel like we need to do you know, and I think that's been the conversation that we've had the yeah. entire day yeah. is that, you know, we're all sitting here trying to make things better, whether it be writing some silly songs or FBI or <laughs> nonprofit organizations or, you know, organizing kids, whatever it may be. I think, you know, the big thing is, is hopefully we're all, you know, we all have something that eats at us that's trying to make a better tomorrow. So I know that's kind of. That was a very powerful song. Thank you so much. Extremely. I appreciate that. It's, it's hard to have the light without the dark. And as Mary Lee, I think, earlier said, we have the extremes of both. I don't think we would be who we are without them, except for maybe a little less dark. Yeah. Hey, Jim, I want to ask you something. Uh-oh. Is there anything you can't find out? <laughs> That's uh, so scary. Yeah, a lot of things. Yeah? Oh, sure. I've retired from the FBI now. You have when tricks. I, and when you leave, you leave. But through legal means, you'd be surprised how much is out there. And people have to be careful. I mean, the newscasters, uh, newscasters the news people can find things out too. And they have no legal authority other than staying within, when, when the, when the, within the lines. But the fact of the matter remains is we, you know, we're in a public society. It is open. And you have to be very, very careful relative to your own social security because of one, the biggest thing is identity theft. You lose your identity. You try to you know, buy a big ticket item like a car or a house, and all of a sudden you have a you know, credit score in Kelvin. And you, 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 uh, so would you, do you have any uh, admonitions for young people on Facebook or MySpace? Or? Don't get on it. <laughs> the bottom line... Facebook is the stupidest thing in God's <laughs> creation. I'm telling you. You just, I mean, you're opening yourself up for the, the, the most horrific case I heard was a very pretty cheerleader went on Facebook with her cheerleader, cheerleader uniform on. The prayer to find out what, found out what schools that uniform was, grabbed her and killed her. Wow. It's crazy. Continuing know, with our dark theme. <laughs> no, but did you ever did you ever meet J. So Edgar fired. Hoover? Did you ever know J. Edgar Hoover? Did you ever meet him? No, he uh, he died in 1972. Okay. But the movie is wrong. Okay, I, I, it's not, I, I haven't seen the film. I don't think it's out yet. I'm, gonna, I'm, but gonna, I'm like a big nerd about John, the 60s. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say you know? Mindy, can I have two minutes? No, I, 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 I'm going to give you your own show, so please proceed. I, I'm a big I'm nerd about the I'm 1960s. We're going to do a special edition. This, this is what happened with the Hoover thing across Russia, which is a bunch of bullshit. Hoover took out the mob in 1958, started the RICO statute. Right. And he took out the mob. When Hoover died, the mob wanted to get back at him. So they hired a ghostwriter. 
and they wrote this book about Hoover. Now, obviously, there's one thing true in the stories. Hoover loved the ponies. He'd bet on you know yeah. horse racing. The rest was baloney. But he was dead. He couldn't respond. Right, of course. You yeah. can't slander the dead. Or you can, easily. You can. Yeah, you there's can. no response. Yeah, there's no defense. There's no response. Yeah. So this whole thing about Hoover built the Bureau to be the best security service within the rules of law the world has ever seen. Right. I'm just a nerd for, like, 60s history and 60s culture because, you know, I 60s. basically— I, I, He started in the 30s. Yeah, well, I mean, I know, like, the 60s was, like, his sort of— Like, there was a large ramp up— Oh, you know, Vietnam. Yeah, Vietnam yeah. and things like that. I mean, I've, you know, I've got a Jufro like Bob Dylan, so like I, you know, I'm constantly curious about the 60s. Yo, Bob Dylan used to drink here at Columbus Hotel. I'm not I met surprised. Him yeah, he had a house down here in Ottoman Place. Ottoman Place. Um, yeah. Nice guy. He was a mess. He was a mess. He was a mess. I've I've been here when I was a young agent. I, I, I met Robert Duvall, a great guy. Yeah. Uh, uh, Brooke Shields, a great person. Um, Farrah Fawcett, a great person. Uh, Rod Stewart, an absolutely phenomenal person. Uh, Can really kick a soccer ball, too. Bob Dylan, an absolute... Absolute mess? Mess. Oh, man, that bums me out. Most depressing show ever <laughs> continues. I'm so sorry. Just no, no, no. ruin the fantasy no, no. for you. No, 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 no. He's like, he's one of my heroes, but I mean, yeah. come on. No, like, but there's a lot that it kind of... It, it, I'm... This is too metaphysical, but it comes back. It's a beautiful mess. I mean, look yeah, at how I mean, brilliant... Like yeah. New Orleans. I mean, not. he's, you know, yeah. I mean, no, there's you know. A, lot, a, lot of, a lot of artists. Once I'm again, you know, you can't get away with anything in New Orleans because <laughs> um, well, Jim's watching. Jim knows no, everything. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm Jim kidding. knows all. John, I'm all over you right <laughs> no, now. I'm, I know, I know, totally. I already feel like I feel the heat. I feel like I've got like a That's a lamp behind you. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. I don't know. I don't know how we ever had a show without you. I don't <laughs> All right, so All right, I'll uh, shut up. That'll no, no, no. I wanna, I wanna hear your, uh, I wanna hear your positive hope, and I'm saying you plural. I wanna hear what gives you hope about New Orleans. I don't know why I turned this into this. I didn't. The show is just the way this is. So we ask him. You look at three people. I know. It got cold you plural. today. Go ahead. I think all of us are a little. We're a little bummed. It got cold today. Cold yeah. and dark. Oh, it's true, and the days got short. That's what happened. It's so hard. That's, we're all we're all a little. We got to recalibrate. Yeah, we're recalibrating. That's what this show's about. We're re- <gasps> the last two minutes of our show will be recalibration. We're going to resurrect the. Uh, What's your positive? The downers hope, and bring it up. Yeah, yeah, you can't do that without the downers. <laughs> What's my positive? Your positive hope. I wouldn't be living here if I thought the city was dying. There it is. The bottom line: the city is moving in the right direction. I was on the inside looking out. I saw the maladies. I was a young agency from 1984 to 1991. I came back to run the shop from uh, April before the storm until May 2008. And I've seen a sea change on the attitude of the people, which is the strength. It's not the elected officials. It's the attitude of the people because we are the people. And we have to do it legally, obviously, and we got to make damn sure that those that we elect to represent our views are held accountable. And when they step out of line and they think it's their turn at the trough to steal the funds, to help the kids, to help the indigent, to help everybody, they pay. And New Orleans is moving in the right direction. I really see a bright bright future for the city and as evidence I decided to invest here and stay here yay yes indeed as a local thank you as a contraflow thank you <laughs> as a Bostonian thank you yeah, right. I love when you say the verb are it's just amazing <laughs> I know that's like really moving what's a verb <laughs> <laughs> ah Great, strong. Boston red beans are like my favorite thing. Whoa, no, Boston red beans. Oh, that's sacrilege. You're no, southern, I'm not, though. No, I know, but they're yummy. I know. It's great. We got a lot of. You got to be who you are, Mary Lee. Go get, go get some clam chowder. You'll be all set. I'm set. I'm set. All right, y'all. Thank you so much. It's been a, a joy. Thanks for having and, us. Uh, I love the way this show came together. A lot of fun. My guests have been Jim Bernazzani, 
Boston, Mary Lee Murphy, Mississippi, right? John Michael Rochelle, Native. white suburbs of New Orleans. <laughs> Native. And I've sort been of. your your stand-in host, Mindy Haas, with Happy Hour. It's NewOrleans.com here at the Columns Hotel. Our producer is Melinda Haas. Hmm. Our associate producer is Chris Kehoe, technical direction and web designer, and link to the real world is Cliff Brigden. It's a little scary if you've ever met Cliff. Music director is Christian Unruh. Thank you so much for getting John Michael here today. Our theme ha- was written and played by Mitch Foreman. If you'd like to be on the show, you can contact us at itsneworleans at gmail.com. Visit us at www.itsneworleans.com. Again, we're recorded live at the Columns. Check out our other happy hours on our website, and we'll talk to you next Thursday. All right. Thanks for having us. Oh, thank Cheers. you. Thank you.